Hi everyone, welcome to Life Flux. I am here with my dear friend C. Dudley Bowden. Yes. You said you'd like me to call you that sure on here. Thing. Okay. And uh, he is an artist, philosopher, writer, an archivist of photography and music, and so much more. You are yes. just many things. That's right. <laughs> um, I met you a few years ago. As I was stumbling around and I found your beautiful sanctuary, it was uh, an antique shop mixed with a library, an art studio, um, and then a, another room where you had just this giant camera and all these photographs, but um, the art and the antiques is what drew me in. Um, how long have you been an artist? Like, when did you start? I know that might be a silly question, but... Uh, when and how? Well, when maybe I was five, six, five? and uh, been persistent ever since then. So, a long time ago. So, nice. I was told that I could draw a sky very well. What What was like your first illustrations that you can recall? Like everybody else, stick figures. Stick figures. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, stick figures and yes, whatever you can draw when you're five years old. Yeah. You know, like. Um, Mother Day, Mother's Day cards, and you know whatever you can come up with at that time. <laughs> um, why do you think you got into art? Well, that's a complicated one, but I try to make it brief. Um, basically, when you're born and you're like five years old, you don't really know exactly what you're going to do. So. Early on, it was a wide variety of things, uh, from sports to, you know, all kinds of sports and all, just all kinds of stuff, like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then it uh, morphed into just art because there's too many roadblocks with the sports direction. The sports direction, there's endless financial roadblocks or just idiot coaches or just all kind of logistics that just didn't make any sense. And then, or you can be an artist. And then when you're an artist, there's no one in your way and you can create anything you want to create as good as you want to create it so it was like a no-brainer to be an artist <laughs> just a free escape I suppose heck yeah yeah that's awesome and um, who did you work for or with in the past your past artistic of course uh, I was an artist and uh, not to differentiate between a commercial artist and a fine artist. So I was a fine artist from like age 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, <laughs> 19, 20, 21. And then I uh, moved to San Francisco and became a, a freelance commercial illustrator. So, um, which was uh, good. That was in San Francisco in 1980. And, uh, and I was doing uh, jobs for the biggest ad agencies in San Francisco and all throughout the 80s. This is before computers. This is for uh, Bank of America and uh, Computerland and all kinds of uh, uh, big companies. It's okay to name drop Litter Rit, man. Yeah, I mean, they just got, there's too many. There was a lot of clients. And so. Um, oh, you did one for, was it Mercedes? Or? Yeah. Mercedes? Uh, Porsche, Porsche was uh, my big one for years. I was the main illustrator for Porsche in the mid 80s. Doing a, it was, This was for, I was a stipple realist. And so I would do photorealism in stipple and for newspapers and magazines. And uh, this is before computers, which a computer can take now, of course, and push a button, it's now dots or whatever it is. And so back in the old days, I was the computer, I guess. I was the one that could turn things and 
photographically using stipple and to make it look realistic. And so that's what I did for uh, years. And I, I, uh, some of my friends turned out to do some, I mean, I was doing straight realism and it's just boring ads for big companies. <clears throat> and, um, but some of my friends were doing some of the well-known work for Atari and Star Wars. Wow. Which at the time I didn't Holy know shit. was that big a deal because <laughs> I didn't really like Star Wars and Atari and why? <laughs> well, sorry, I am passionate well, about Star Wars. Though. When you're raised on the Twilight, the original Twilight Zone, and along comes a uh, Gilligan's Isle Island type show like Star Wars. <laughs> Wow. It's, it's too namby pamby, you know. The, the good guys always hit, the bad guys always miss. It's, it's it's just too predictable. So it's like, it was just anyway. My friend uh, Kazu Sano was the illustrator for the second Star Wars poster. So Sanu S A N U, I think it is Kazu K A Z U. So that was one of my friends. He did the poster, uh, the main poster, known poster for the second Star Wars, and then uh, my friend uh, Michelle, who has close friends with he did uh, at least three of the covers for Atari the early computer games for your TV for football baseball and uh, combat 2 and then my other friend David he was uh, well known for well he did the Outsiders uh, cover the famous movie there called the Outsiders mm -hmm. and uh, did the book cover for that and Holy the Pendleton ads and all the playboys back in the I, maybe this all through the 60s and 70s so you worked with like top dogs yeah would you they're just friends at the time you don't really think about that yeah. being famous or anything <laughs> you just they just doing their thing and I'm doing my thing <laughs> that's how art kind of is sometimes though it just it becomes something huge in a second and I don't know I'd, I think it's because of these passionate <clears throat> individuals that have decided to craft their lives around it too and you can just see the years of passion behind the work yes their all their work was very similar it was a style that was brief in time it didn't exist before say the 50s yeah. and it didn't last till after the 90s uh, the commercial field got squashed by computers like a lot of things uh, they became almost obsolete even by the 90s and uh, I was at the tail end of the big production years where one company would have all every technique you can think of under one roof, which mm -hmm. at the time I didn't know was common in, throughout the history in the United States where they would have all any ad you could want. You could go to one place and there would be an artist there. It could cover that technique or style or whatever is needed. So I was part of that it was called Artworks on Gold Street in San Francisco. And so I did that for a f not very long because then, uh, very briefly, because then I've realized that there's such a world as freelance commercial illustration. <laughs> that means you're on your own. That means you don't have any boss. And so then all you needed was a rep. Mm -hmm. and so I got reps in LA and San Francisco and I was off to the races. And your art really is astounding. I mean, the amount of I mean, it looks like a photograph, and you do this just dots and dots at a time, and then your illustration isn't only an illustration, it's filled with subliminal messages, and it just has so much depth. I can't wait to put some of your, your work out for people to see what I'm talking about. And then our um, once we start talking about uh, Paul Robeson, uh -huh. um, it, then we can talk about that ostrich egg that you painted on. I mean, that literally looks like someone just printed on there, and that's 
by your hand that's your artwork and that's amazing like I'm yeah well before as a commercial illustrator like I said for years I was a, a fine artist and and uh, I always thought in the the bigger picture uh, not just uh, trying to be the best of your school or best of your state which I did win the award for best in state of Ohio in 75 wow. but that's I thought way bigger than that that was nothing and my goal was to be the best ever I mean ever ever like and I, I even took it to the extreme which means 500 years I wanted to beat 500 years of everyone in the past and 500 years into the future and they were not going to have a chance <laughs> at all to beat me. And this would be in the realm of photorealism and portrait miniatures. And uh, I just made up my mind. And it, it was not going to be a competition. There would just be nobody. It could match it. Guarantee. <laughs> that's just the way it was going to be. And so it looks like that's just the way it is. So basically that, so it's that a five-year-old came a long way that uh, from the five zero competition to always well, there will no, never be it, competition actually at I about the best <laughs> about six years old i made up my mind wow yeah i made up my mind at six and so i started early on because it was uh, basically how the whole dang crazy philosophy started as that i'm normal kid playing in the jungles and oceans of panama that's where i was raised and so from there you go to first grade and all of a sudden there's this stuff called competition mm -hmm. and of course I didn't know even how to bounce a ball so we're on the playground bouncing a ball and I didn't know what what's up and I was like a fool and bouncing all that and I'm basically screwing up and so the other kids were like laughing and then I decided well that's not good so I quit in the middle of the game killed their game and in a split second <laughs> decided it'll never happen again and the way it's never gonna happen is I'm gonna beat them at everything always <laughs> everything and that means better grades better throwing the ball farther running faster and everything else you can think of and so in that split second I made up my mind that's just the way it's gonna be and so of course <laughs> you're you're diverse at that point because you're doing a million things and you're only six years old or whatever mm -hmm. and so then it evolved to become just art because of, like I said the roadblocks and the various sports directions I was into baseball football not football baseball Baseball, bowling, and golf was my three mm -hmm. things. And so there's uh, roadblocks here and there. And so that's why I went towards art and that same philosophy of just kicking everyone's butt. The, comp the competitive thing just went into the realm of art to become the best ever. You know, it's a, it's a, normally in the art world, you're not thinking of being better than someone, but I, it just came from that d direction of being competitive. And so I just uh, couldn't help myself, I guess. Yeah. Well, I love your artwork. I'm a huge fan. And um, Basically, I, it's pencil. I'll sum it up real quick. It's pencil and ballpoint pen on paper. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the ostrich egg. And so um, I can draw in lots of different services, include ivory, ostrich egg, or clay poker chips is one of my favorites. And it was always paper for years. And then until I realized you can actually create your own surface. And then you have a the ability to create a surface that's better than paper because mm -hmm. you're uh, creating the fine tooth it's even better than paper and then you can if you need to erase or make slight changes it's even better it's more difficult say the ostrich because it's round and so it was uh that's basically the art is pencil and ballpoint pen and photorealism and uh, my goal is like i said to be the best ever but not and to be as good or better than the best cameras ever really 
And so that was the... Uh, your, your art studio about matched your camera studio just below the floor. You had a camera that was the size of a room and then just, I've never seen so well, many I still different have, kinds of cameras. I still have one of those cameras, the 24 by 24. It's a Levi process camera from 1911. And basically the direction into getting into photography and the old antique cameras and all that like I mentioned, buying an antique camera museum in 80, I don't know if I mentioned it actually, 85. Um, it, it kind of evolved from the photorealism because once you're, when you're growing up as a kid and all you have access to is encyclopedias and playboys or some st stuff around the house, then, then you realize when you get on the real world the, that the real photographs are infinitely more perfect and detailed than anything printed in a book. And so then I wanted to understand how that could be. And so I got to, uh, uh, I, I just like a f other directions, I, I got obsessed with knowing everything there is to know about antique photography, going back to the 1850s and 40s. And mm -hmm. so I collected these cameras, and I wanted to see how they were used, the processes. And so I, I did all that also so that I could understand. So ambrotypes were like, I mean, way better than any modern digital camera you can't even compete, and that's 1850s. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to see how it was, and, and now, that's how I got carried away. Now, 1850s compared to now? Now. No way. It was su still superior in 1850s. No way. Resolution-wise, it's infinitely better in the 1850s. I mean, there's no competition. Okay. I, I am not... I mean, a 20 megabyte, even if you had a 100 megabyte camera, it still couldn't compete. Even if you had a 1,000 megabyte camera, it just... Compared with what camera, precisely, that we The all camera know? from... Any camera now could not compete with the cameras of the 1850s. Okay. Still. Heard. Even my Pixel 3a? Nothing. Okay. You're still a, a, <laughs> a caveman compared to the 1850s. <laughs> you are. For example, I collected a, this one. I've got lots of different... I probably have 100,000 images or more in my archives. And For example, uh, the one of the images I have is... Um, uh, a big collection was the Gino Soprano. I did have a book published on this book. I did uh, uh, the, what's it called? Gino Soprano Photographs. But anyway, uh, Photographs of Gino Soprano, the Bay Area, uh, mm -hmm. something like that. <laughs> the title's out of my head right now. But that one, um, for example, that's a six and a half, eight and a half full plate negative, And that uh, image can be blown up to probably 300 feet. I mean, I have them blown up to 8 feet and there's still no grain visible, so I doubt, and that's from 8 inches, so I don't know how many times up, but I'm sure you can't blow a, even a 100 megabyte up that high and not be pixelated. So, yeah, they they lead you on by the end of your nose by suggesting that they're always improving. It's a, it's a floppy disk. You take 18 pictures on a 1 megabyte and then it goes through Oh, it's a one megabyte, and then it's a two megabyte, and they're just leading you slowly through the evolution, when in fact it's still superior in the 1850s. So, anyway, good luck with that direction. <laughs> um, what would you say is your favorite thing to capture on a camera or film? Uh, as a photographer, I'm more of an archivist, but when I do photograph, I, I did have a, a circuit camera. Now, that one's a super challenge. Uh, an original circuit camera, which is um, a 360-degree camera, which uh, uh, was made in about 1906. I didn't know what it was when I purchased it. I had to back-engineer it with no manuals. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, it takes the film moves at the same rate as the camera rotates. Mm. And so that one, 
is fun because you can you, you can capture everything that's around your head <laughs> twice if you want and so that one was a fun camera and then generally just large format and because it has infinite detail as far as the bearded and digital cameras and so it's just anything in nature i, I, I was just like gonna nature. say like landscapes yeah, yeah landscapes okay yeah that's it wow no nudes or nothing <laughs> uh i've had some people request <laughs> and then i've had people get paranoid of their own pictures and then Aww. i've had to shred up those pictures because of wow. their paranoia so okay. yes there's some of that in the past <laughs> yeah, i had to ask about you know, body appreciation cool um well, and then you also um, collect music. You had an archive of um, photography and different types of cameras, but then you also had a huge archive of anti-war music um, songs. And I have all of those that you've given me, by the way. Unfortunately, my Kia does not... Um, yeah, it's broken. It, the CD player won't work. But I plan on listening to those. Yes, I have many of those. And I started that uh, compilation basically in 1998. Uh, before 98, I was <coughs> compiling children's songs, uh, the ones back to the 40s. And then there was folk music, uh, which I was never exposed to. I was, had the monkeys and the Tommy Rowe and Archies. And I was bubblegum crappy music from back then and I didn't even know about folk music and so in the 90s came along I'd kind of edified myself a little bit on some of these things and so <laughs> I was like wow okay I uh there's I actually have a few anti-war songs maybe I'll just do start compiling them and uh so I ended up growing to become a vast archives at this point I have I have so many of the CDs you gave me but I do recall dipping into a couple of them actually while I was um driving across country just a couple years ago for something can't remember where but i do remember because my friend um she was listening to it too and we would take turns driving and then we started realizing it would go from like anti-war to all of a sudden i would hear hitler like yes yeah. screaming so you like to spice things up a bit so that i could hear the difference between music that is literally just to create aggression and fear and war and then music that is supposed to pull you away from that. And she would be like, Bianca, what the fuck? Holy shit, man, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, it's, it's just C. Don't worry about it. it he's, he's throwing that in there to, to show me pretty much what people were playing in history. Like, people listen to this on the radio. It's crazy. Well, what you're talking about is live recordings when Hitler and his uh, brown shirts, etc., were making their move in the 1930s. So I interspersed between, basically to sum it up, there's 68 CDs of anti-war music that I collected myself uh, from vinyls um, starting back in 98 and turning it into a book. And so if you were to go down the road of, well, you can't go into a music store and find the anti-war music section. You basically have to go through all areas and find who was brave enough to say something. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And so I'd say 80% of this has been censored in silence and nobody's practically nobody's heard it and even some of the famous stuff's not even heard now so what I did and instead of just going down the route since I was turning into a book I didn't want it just the music the uh, messages and the sentiment of the anti-war sentiment expressed in the anti-war songs I wanted to uh, liven it up a little bit with uh, 
pro-war stuff. So there's about 5% that's pro-war, including the Hitler stuff. And so if, you're, if you want to like be there in time and know what these uh, dumbasses were thinking, uh, you have to record them dumbasses, and then you have to like listen to them dumbasses. And then when I do my book and do my commentary on every single track, which I have done, then I can make my commentary on these dumbasses. And so that was the idea, is that you have to uh, allow the other side to get their dumbass philosophy in there so you can rip it to shreds. I mean, that's, there's no, nothing better. I had to do it because uh, nobody wants to listen to their dumbass philosophy, and so you got to shred it up. And so that's, that's the way I did it. And I even have Bush uh, Sr. Uh, quote on there because he was a dumbass, and he, re you know, he said some dumbass things. So even the dumbasses you have to put in there just to hear them. I mean, even Bush Jr., who, has, who never stopped being a dumbass, like the modern president, the one ongoing now, he can't, they can't help themselves, so you have to throw them in. So like in 20, 30 years from now, they'll look back and go, how in the hell did Bush or Trump become president and then but you can listen to the idiot comments and speeches and just to give a dose of how dumb they were <laughs> and you have a book that you've created that you're going to be printing here soon well the original idea was to hand calligraphy the whole thing in cursive and calligraphy pen but I you know when I started I didn't know it would become this massive collection I, I was just doing it and, I, and it just became so megalithic that became like it was just too gigantic <laughs> and so I had to go the digital route and upgrade with the time to start off on cassette tapes then morphed into the CDs and of course CDs are almost obsolete but I'm going to stick with CDs because it's digital and it can still be passed around and so the book became 50 books or more than 50 books and so basically I'm making one book the name of the book will be Songs to end all wars, uh, which yeah. is sort of based on war to end all wars, which is their motto to brainwash the young of World War One to go and end all wars by going to war, which is a back-ass word philosophy if you haven't heard of one. <laughs> <laughs> and so instead of war to end all wars, I'll have songs to end all wars. And so that's the name of it. And so there'll be book one, book two, book three. And so the first six are ready for press, ready to go. And... Um, and so that's the direction. One CD equals one book. So it's much more affordable and everything else. Well, I can't wait to purchase it. I'm stoked. And I already have well, a few CDs, but doesn't even compare to that thick-ass book that you're carrying around. <laughs> um, I think that's amazing. Um, yeah, I guess my only thought right now um, is pretty much how you go, how do you decide what is anti-war and what isn't, you know? Like, I mean, we can listen to the radio and they play all kinds of things and there can be one slight little message that maybe Oh, it's easy like, in my collection. It's very easy. Okay. If it's namby-pamby, it's just, uh, you know, make everyone happy or save the world or save whatever. It has to have the message of being anti-war. Mm -hmm against the government, against their idiotic philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so there's collections online uh, like antiwarsongs.org or whatever it is. They have a massive collection there, which is only like maybe less than 10% really anti-war. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and other collections here and there. But I wanted mine to stay on point, stay in focus 
because that's what happened to the anti-war uh, movement in the 60s. It got infiltrated by numerous other directions and then became mush. Mm -hmm. And so since it's me, I didn't want my direction to turn to mush. And so it's an easy one to decide what's anti-war. and what, If they just have it, it, uh, the backbone and nerve to say something against war, it could be sentimental where Johnny's gone off to war and died and it's a sad song. So that's part of it, because that's part of the reality of war, is losing your loved ones. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole range from like being in line and stepping one step forward, and and and, and you're you're inducted into the the draft, and so uh, mm -hmm. all the way to the end. And so the whole range is before, during, and after. And so the each CD, I mean, yeah, each CD is arranged according to logical sequencing. You know, you can't have people die and everyone dead in the end or a, a happy-go-lucky song at the beginning and then everyone dies. Mm -hmm. So there's a logical sequence here and there, and, and, lo and a lot of times they're grouped according to, to genre, or punks with punk, or, or there's topics like, there's one dedicated to idiocy of George Bush, there's one idiocy of George uh, Trump, and there's two dedicated to unions, there's ten dedicated to the truth about JFK, and mm -hmm. so, and uh, nuclear issues and uh, the civil rights uh, movement and a lot of them, most of them of course, are from the 60s back when most people had backbone and um, et cetera. So that's how they've been kind of uh, put, uh, you know, ordered in the, uh, of the order of the songs in each of the CDs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to say that you're not only just an uh, archivist for photography or for music, but you also archive historical events. You don't let history books define history. You decide to do the research and you go farther than that. You compare and contrast all kinds of different articles and research um, pretty much all the different plausible reasons something else could happen. And so by doing so, I think that, I mean, I find you very knowledgeable in that, in that field and um, how you decide to take that information and then apply it to an artistic outlet through art and through music. And it's such a great way to link and connect that with the public because there's so many people that haven't done the research or have gone far enough to question their own um, religious perspectives, you know, their own religious ties, their own beliefs. Um, on life or individuals or judging and music and art is a way of enlightening and opening the minds of individuals without doing the research. It's just almost kind of like putting a spark in someone's mind that will hopefully lighten them to the point where they actually do want to question their reality. They want to question why do I feel like I have to go to war? For, for Why do I feel like I have to shoot somebody to you know, prove a point like, who? Why is it that we are questioned? Who would we die for versus who would we live for? You know, like, death is just always on people's mind. It seems like no one's really scared of dying. People are more scared of living. You know, like, a, a true, honest life because that means breaking within their own barriers. It means breaking their own realities and breaking away from their comfort zone, things that they've known their whole life. So, yeah, I'm just kind well, of, you know, just being like, oh, see, you know, you're just great. But well, pretty just, much you are, and I'm, I, 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 
want to say commend you, but that just doesn't even sound right coming from my tongue because I don't even do this kind of research, so I just appreciate you. I'm grateful that you are a soul on this planet and you're still so passionate about collecting these things to share with the world so that they can wake the fuck up and that everyone can, you know, start living their lives to the fullest and use these creative outlets and if they want to be the best of the best of the best of the best of the best, then they, they go after it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I appreciate that and I think it's amazing that you have so many different studies, that you're not just fanatic about one thing, you're fanatic about multiple things, but not even fanatic, you're passionate, you know, because mm -hmm. I feel like fanatic, it goes across the border. It's when you only care about, you know, one thing and you just can't imagine your life without it. But you adapt and you move and you go with the flow and you take things with you, but then you also... Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I mean, hopefully. I'm just, um, the government would prefer it. you to be a happy brainwashy. That's basically the bottom line. They want to spoon-feed your answers to your brain. And unfortunately, here in the United States of America, most people are spoon-fed their answers and regurgitate those answers. And so I've never gone along those lines. I've uh, questioned everything from day one. And early on, uh, I would we question everything. Yes, question that. everything. And so when I got into, I wasn't really into politics, and then I started listening to maybe Ray Taliaferro in, say, 1980 in San Francisco. Everyone's going to know who Ray Taliaferro is in, mm -hmm. from San Francisco. And then I started just researching all kinds of things with uh, politics, and then I started incorporating the, what I, my research, my research I would come across into my artwork. And then so that, uh, it went from, like, being the top photo realist and kick everyone's ass as a portrait realist and everyone in England and everywhere else uh, uh, the goal was to kick their ass. I, the, incorporating uh, my views into my artwork so my views became so controversial then my it was almost like uh, no one would want to show my artwork because it was too honest and too in your face yeah. and so um, which well, because uh, it's opinionated, and it also it, it breaks people's um, beliefs and boundaries. It makes them question what they value and what they put before their own identity, before their own hierarchy. That this person or this um, idea is more important than my own family, you know, and that that drives people crazy change you know that's what yes they are zombies out there that's what you're talking about zombies <laughs> god damn fluoride <laughs> and all the fluoride and everything water. else they're using to dumb you down and so yeah that uh, the idea is not to go down that route and the idea is to wake people up and you're not going to do it by here's a flower please believe me you're not going to go down that route of just hey, being overly nice <laughs> what I mean, does that <laughs> uh -oh, mean? I stepped on someone's toes <laughs> but I don't go that soft core route. I go for more the hardcore route Some of getting in your like face. Some people like soft core. Okay, see. <laughs> <laughs> for art, I get in your face and the writing too. If you're if you like the soft core, you're not going to like the book because I, I get in your face ASAP. Almost on day day, almost on page one, it's like I just uh, I just I just unleash from the beginning, and so uh, I try to control myself a little bit when mm -hmm. when it's in print. And so, um, <laughs> anyway, so after getting and merging my art and 
and of course you can go to uh, bodenart.com if you want to pause and go take a look and see if I'm BSing you or not. Yes, we're And gonna... so, yeah, I'll get to that later on, but just go for it right now if you want to, bodenart.com, and then come on That's back. B-O-W-D-E-N.com. Dot com. Dot com. And so then I realized, uh, you know, my work was, I wasn't familiar with a photorealist or anything else. I was only doing my own thing. I was like one person conquering the world. And then I realized there was photorealists and I just decimated them. And they're more like billboards, billboard artists. They paint big, trick the viewer on your iPhone or your computer, shrink way down and go. And everybody gets like, well, it's so photographic. It's because it's a billboard. <laughs> painted with their ass or something and shrunk so far down that you're like oh it's beautiful but when you look into the reality it's a billboard so my goal is to be photographic at the size of a photograph eight by ten one by one an inch not five feet by five feet and then trick all the viewers so that's the trick of the photorealists and hyperrealists online on computers and iphones is they trick you into thinking they're photorealists when they're not so i went uh, that direction and then I merged the uh, politics into that. And then when I realized that everything you've ever told in politics is a lie and a scam <laughs> up to modern times, up to this second, uh, then I started, because everything's so solvable, uh, uh, like uh, the JFK assassination or 9-11 or any other conspiracy stuff, it's so easy to solve that I decided to look back into history, going back hundreds or even thousands of years, what the real story of our existence here is. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of directions <laughs> there I've looked into. Uh, I'm not an expert, but uh, I'm in the last five years. I'm but you're a researcher. A researcher. And you're a realist. That's right. And you're a philosopher, and you only mean well. You only want to give back to the world what's been taken away. Um, but before we go into that, I have one last question before we go to break, because you need to drink your tea. Um, is have you thought about opening up a classroom, whether it be for art, photography, anti-war? I, I noticed a classroom in your, in your. I call it a sanctuary because that's what it was to me. Yeah. But it was an antique shop mixed with library. But you also had a little classroom set up with tables. And yes, and I would like to do that, and I did it for several years. It was a good learning experience. Basically, when. I said I wanted to kick everyone's ass and be the best ever before, during, and after now for 500 years. That was and is the goal, but about ten, 8, 10 years ago I got the idea that I wonder if I could teach this to be as good as me. I mean, so I had to, <laughs> I had to back engineer, a, I had to back engineer how my brain worked and to get it into the English language and what is all involved uh, to achieve this. And so I started uh, about 8 years ago. And I've only found really one student so far. It kind of got the grasp of it. But I can get, uh, yeah, more. Uh, I would, next time I do the drawing, uh, teaching drawing, I would only take people that are s serious. I was taking anybody. Mm -hmm. and But it was good to learn how people, you know, starting from scratch and how to teach my technique starting from scratch. Someone that's never even drawn. And so in the future, I'm going to take people, if you're listening to me and you think you're good, or you know someone that thinks they're good, I could make them 10 times better, and I can guarantee it. I could make someone that's seven years old today in a wheelchair or in just stubborn kid that wants to be the best in the world, I could make them better than anybody graduating from any university on this planet in a year, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And uh, guaranteed, that because I'm still adamant, as you can see, and persistent and stubborn and all that, 
and uh, I could take anyone that has the desire to be good at photorealism, drawing in pencil and ballpoint pen on various subjects, I mean various surfaces, I could take them in, in one year, probably less with some people, and get them to be better than anyone else on earth. And so I, that was one of my goals, it, which seemed almost impossible as making me the best ever. I wanted to make someone else as good as me. I didn't want to be the only person ever, mm -hmm. you know, so I wanted to teach it to others. And so I started doing that like about eight years ago, and I would do it again. But other than that, I could have a class on the truth about JFK, which is a bottomless pit, but I know a lot of I'm like an encyclopedia on that subject. And 9-11, I could probably tell you all about 9-11 and, uh, and some other subjects, some historical subjects, uh, which I'll be smarter in about five years on. <laughs> but there's Hell a few yeah. subjects I, can, I could talk, probably talk on. Well, that's awesome, Chuck. I know that um, we're going to continue to have these or I hope to continue to have these chats and uh, we're going to slowly cover it one few topics at a time. Um, sure. But we're going to take a quick break so Alrighty. we can enjoy our tea and then Excellent. when we get back we'll talk more about um, your, your uh, uh, how do you pronounce it again? It's uh, photograph, uh, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Photorealism. Oh. Thank you so much. Well, originally uh, they called it photorealism, hyperrealism, but the term was about the same time, like 70, 71, something mm -hmm. like that. So. Um, but your art form with um, Paul Robeson yes. on the egg, what would yes. that be considered? Photorealism? Yeah, just photorealism, okay. just Perfect. on a different surface, yeah. Yeah. Well, when we get back, we'll talk about him and the champ. I know that um, you are also an archivist of human individuals you don't want these hidden yeah. uh, public fig figures to just be um, brushed under the rug so we Obsoleted. will yes we will <laughs> talk about that and a little bit more on um, conspiracy theories or what you would call realism right <laughs> and um, yeah and more okay we'll be sounds back. good later mm -hmm. Hey y'all! Life Flux is sponsored by Pray to the Luncoon. Pray to the Luncoon is a unique brand of customizable handmade board bags located in Baden Wuttenbuck, Germany. You can choose one of their awesome models, colors, and send in your board dimensions and your own artistic design for your bag. Pray to the Luncoon offers a variation of board bags such as the takeaway bag, which is great for the everyday skateboard, and the Loki-Toki bag for longboards. Feel free to contact Claudia, the founder of Prey to the Luncoon, for your own customizable board bag. For more information, visit, like, and direct message, and follow on Instagram at Prey underscore to underscore the underscore Luncoon. Cheers! Hi y'all, welcome back. Um, so now we are going to talk um, about Paul Robeson, who is one of your favorite people on this planet and uh, a hidden public figure that uh, people need to know more about. Tell me why, tell me who, tell Well, me Paul was born in 1899, I think, maybe 98, but 1899. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the exact dates, but I think he passed away in the 1970s. 
And uh, in my opinion, and uh, I don't know if it's... <laughs> anyway, in my opinion, he's by far the most talented American ever by a long shot. No second places even on the horizon. And just to give you a... I mean, so basically, uh, I can give you a list of... Uh, I've incorporated in my art both on uh, ostrich egg and photorealism and uh, on uh, poker chips also. And, uh, and the irritating part, uh, once you understand who he is, that he was censored and erased from history early on. We're talking he was not even mentioned in the 1960s, and he was alive in the 1960s. And that's one of the more irritating parts. Uh, you know, I didn't find out about him until the 1980s. And so just briefly, um, he's most well known for singing the song uh, Old Man River in the uh, movie called Showboat. And so that's what most, and with a really deep voice. And so that's uh, generally uh, how people will have heard of him at all. But on top of that, I mean, just uh, I'm going to go over some of the briefly why he's just unbelievable. Um, well, he was black for one thing, so he was a, a valedictorian of an all-white law school. He was uh, the valedictorian and star running back on the football team, uh, just for beginners. Uh, later on, he could speak 20-some languages. He was a star of seven Hollywood uh, movie films. Um, you said 20 languages? 20 languages. Yeah, that narrows down your competition now, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that leaves everyone in the dust, pretty much. And so he was known... For, early on for not only being because he was a lawyer and athlete uh, but he wanted to touch more people so that's why he went to Hollywood and um, was in and he was on radio too before TV and movies and all that he was on the radio and so he's gave the second second most listened to radio program of all time behind the War of the Worlds the uh, Orson Welles thing about the alien invasion his was called his was called Ballad for the Americans and it was li more listened to than anything else on the radio except for that one show so he was known for that and also uh, he had 296 consecutive sellout performances playing Othello uh, and that's on Broadway so that's another thing and so um, so he was instrumental in getting uh, Jackie Robinson the first black uh, baseball player into the major leagues that's another thing he was at uh, the beginning of uh, professional football actually a running back he was one of the first black professional football players and uh, how many other things are there there's uh, a lot so he was an the best artist, a singer an actor and a uh, renaissance bilingual man. and a renaissance man. <laughs> yes and so I could go on and on so for he basically, in the 1940s, went from like the all-American hero, more famous than, say, Ali and Michael Jackson and anyone you can name put together on Earth. And because he was worldwide known and he didn't have the following here in just the United States, as narrow as it is, even though people think it's we are the world, <laughs> it's not like that when you look at the rest of the world. So he was world famous and, uh, and gave these concerts to 10, 50,000 people worldwide that would come to his concerts. And it was Negro spirituals. He was not trained. He, was, uh, uh, he would sing these Negro spirituals. And, um, and, uh, and, and he was very famous along those lines too, not only in his movies and his plays. Uh, but basically just, uh, he became blacklisted in the 1940s because the history, uh, uh, history of uh, the communists and all that was uh, coming around 
basically uh, fabricated uh, to uh, sum it up, but he was one of the ones targeted to be blacklisted because he was saying favorable things for Russia because they weren't hanging blacks in Russia. And he thought that was a big improvement not to have his brothers and sisters hung from trees. So he thought that was a good thing. And of course, saying that against the white establishment here in the South or wherever was a bad thing. So they had a blacklist of Paul Robeson. So the most talented guy and the entire United States, by far, they blacklisted him. And they brought him before the HUAC, House Un-American Activities Committee, and they tried to <laughs> intimidate Paul Robeson, but that was not possible because he had the voice, he had the deep voice that you just weren't going to win. And then he was the <laughs> valedictorian as a lawyer, so you weren't going to, you, you could have a team of lawyers in front of him, he's going to defeat you. And so he, he shredded him up there. That is you can see that on YouTube. If you look up Paul Robeson, he ends up, they try to intimidate him, it doesn't work. And with his deep voice, he ends up calling the, the people that are on the high horse, trying to intimidate you and shut you up and call you names. He ended, call, he ended up calling them on their high horse, the fascists. And they had to shut that hearing down real quick because Paul Robeson was uh, <laughs> not gonna be shut up. So in other words, he Another was... Another master rhetorician. That's why he was uh, censored, and that's why I wasn't told about him in the 60s and 70s when I was going to school. And so it's real irritating to know that one of the most talented guys ever was uh, censored and erased from history. It's just unbelievable that that even could happen. Just to let you know. <laughs> yeah, and you incorporate um, uh, Mr. Robeson in a lot of your work. Um, you put his name and his face and... Um, you just make sure he he's in there as a as a reminder, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean uh, that's the uh, goal of uh, a good authoritarian government is to keep you dumbed down. They don't want you to know who the intellectual dissidents are. I mean, the the, the term intellectual dissidents was used for Russians who were opposing the government in Russia. They would now never. And I'm sure no one listening has ever heard anyone being called an intellectual dissident who opposes Trump or anything of the establishment. That was a term they used for the Russians. And now that uh, we're the ones uh, uh, against Trump and his idiocies, uh, we're not called intellectual dissidents. They're just going to squash us with any kind of name calling they can invent. So, yeah, it's just irritating that some of the most talented, most... Uh, intellectual people of all time are being suppressed that way and that's one of their methods to keep y'all dumbed down real good like hey <laughs> yeah that's one of their techniques there's many techniques i mentioned them right off the bat in my book there's names for these different techniques and uh <laughs> you can see them but back to paul robeson so if you go to bodenart.com you can see if you see two hands that's my hands holding an ostrich egg and it's round, that's Paul Robeson and Peggy Ashcroft, Dame Peggy Ashcroft. And they're sitting, he's in his costume as Othello, and it's a, it's a photorealistic drawing about four and a half inches across on a polished ostrich egg. So I took the ostrich egg and spent about 10 hours polishing like a piece of wood, but you get to up to 1500 grit sandpaper and it turns into like a piece of glass. And then you rough up the surface you're going to work on, and then you can use pencil and ballpoint pen. So that's the work 
that uh, that one and on the uh, clay poker chip that I've uh, incorporated Paul Robeson just for all time's sake so people can know and I've included some of his songs in the anti-war compilation also so and I've quoted them and I've included them wherever possible in my book awesome yeah he is uh, one of the one of the few things I remember you by it's just Paul Robeson <laughs> and the book you want to read is uh, the whole world in his hands written by his granddaughter and that has pictures with every all the famous people from the time period and all the accomplishments more than I just listed and it's uh, that's the one you want to start with is the whole world in his hands got it thank you very much for that see I appreciate you and all this passion and and not letting uh, intellectuals like him die you just you're one of those people that make them live on and their their ideas and their words that's well he's one of them in the book of course I say that I include uh, pro-war anti-war etc but I quote as many people as I can find I mean a lot of most of almost everybody I've found throughout history has been accidental so I quote quite a few people intellectual dissonance back to the 1500s you know from hundreds of years ago I quote in my book uh, so they're not forgotten because if it was up to the modern brainiac up there in Washington DC they're gonna be just dumbing everyone All down right, and listen, everyone listen here just because we got this weird <laughs> like kind of accent it don't mean all of us are just as dumb as a lump of bricks or right? they want y'all we're, we're dumb. trying to learn all right we can tell that's the goal we here we can tell there's something going on all right <laughs> yeah yep I'm not helping my case <laughs> well. but listen listen it, it, it ain't gonna be like that all the time and I know quite a few well no I don't I know I know of a few people that know of a few people that I'm just gonna drop my my argument right here I'm just gonna leave it in the dirt Alrighty. we're gonna move on we're gonna talk about some tea um, right now we're drinking some mango tango it's a pan-fried um, Fujian province in China green tea um, it has and this is a green tea so you steep it for two to three minutes at 180 degrees um, or I pretty much boil the water and then uh, yeah let it sit for a second and it's good and it's good it is righteous all right now listen there's marigolds there's lemon peel there's mango bits and safflower I can keep this accent going um, but anyway the marigolds are uh, great for muscles and um, for skin such as allergies eczema rashes dermatitis um, for muscular issues or like for cramps or injuries um, it has uh, it's great for toothaches it has um, antifungal properties um, the lemon peel has vitamin C in it which is great for boosting the immune system um, it aids in digestion and lowers skin cancer um, it supports oral health as well due to its antibacterial properties and very high in antioxidants um, and so it's very healthy for the heart there's mango bits, which is great for digestion, um, skin and eye health. It's also a natural sugar that aids for weight loss. Um, and then the safflower may help prevent blood clots and hardening of the arteries. Helps lower blood pressure, strengthen that good old heart of yours. All right, we need to keep that shit tender. Um, due to its uh, linolenic and linoleic acids in the safflower seed oil, 
Um, and then it aids skin conditions, dryness, um, it promotes elasticity, reduces wrinkles, and fights inflammation. Sounds marvelous. Yeah, and it's, it's a beautiful yellow tea and it's gotten cold real quick yes. but it's it's still good you hear it's all right to be hot or cold you can mix yep. it on up yeah now mm. so that's that and um yeah we'll move on to uh conspiracy theories or what you like to call realism <laughs> um one of the things that i just love and admire about you is that you stay open-minded um, but you also do your research and that's also part of being open-minded is not being told all right this is this is how history was written so uh, this is how it went you know now you got me doing the accent damn it stop <laughs> it see you're making all right. me all weird all now right. listen so um yeah, so I appreciate your open-mindedness, and one of the biggest questions that no one seems to be talking about is why we're here, what's going on, you know, we just kind of pop out like daisies, and then we kind of have to live these ideologies based off of wherever we pop up in the ground, and we pretty much have to kind of follow society's structures in order to survive or we can break away from the current and start doing our own thing and questioning things and um yeah i i i appreciate you for always staying open to the idea that things are not always as they seem and just because we have this government or people that are considered what's the word i'm looking for people who run the world and say it has to be ran a certain way that you go against those kind of people and um, you've got a library of books and other researchers to back you up um, I remember going through all these books you had that had survived book burnings and I had just never felt so grateful in my whole life I just thought holy Holy hell, I just, <laughs> I just found the ruby in the rough, you know, like it was, it was amazing. So, um, tell me. Well, newsflash to you who are listening, the Nazi book burning is going on ASAP right under your nose right now. The Nazis could have never invented a better system to get rid of the books than the little iPhones that you're staring at or the computers because they're basically making books obsolete and uh, so therefore they can uh, censor your world uh, easier than ever and so all the books that are going into the burn piles and the landfills now uh, it's just a Nazi dream come true and so the the Nazi book burning is going on and so um, they can control the truth on any subject uh, better than ever uh, now and uh, a good rule uh, to live this life uh, today in the age of su superior propaganda is don't believe anything comes out of the TV ever <laughs> rule number one my mom would call it the idiot box it is an idiot box you don't trust any news source on that idiot box and almost anyone online too now see I felt strangely like okay a lot of children that were growing up in my area um, they watched a lot of television when it came out and my dad he um, I remember when he actually brought 
this little TV home for me and Dylan, and I was just so upset. I didn't understand. Like, I thought he was bringing home a real gift, like something I could play with. What the hell is this thing going to do for me? I can't believe how how bad that must make me look because a little child to get upset over such a huge technological advance but at the same time I was furious and I to this point I don't you know understand why I wasn't more grateful for that kind of gift but even then people would use it as a source of information you know oh, they look at the news that's the news that's how it is there's nothing else like no reason to do further research and for me I question everything I just I remember Um, being introduced to politics slowly people seem to care a lot about this guy called a president and I was like okay so he's a pretty big hot shot and then you know every so years uh, we get like a new guy and then there's this game show that goes on where the two you know queen bees or the two presidents or whatever three four five how many people are competing for it are going against each other and they've got to hit this little buzzer when they want to speak and I just thought the whole thing was just a game I just thought okay obviously I live in a place where they do not take real debates seriously. Obviously, I live in a place where they think it's okay to make someone president who can just say whatever they want, whenever they want. And that means this is not an okay place to be because people are just getting away with shit. And they're making um, certain individuals who should never be president, president. So just just be like, yep, this is the face of our our civilization now this is great no this is not okay um but for me back in the child in the mind of a child i actually refused to watch the news or any of those um kinds of things that people thought they gain information from except you know um national geographic i loved uh that whenever i could see it but i normally only use television to watch x files spongebob and Jerry Springer. I, I have a thing for Jerry. 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 I know it's complete bogus, but I literally only use TV for pure entertainment. Like, I'm going to turn my brain off and laugh for no reason. And that is why I, you know, I would, I watch TV occasionally. It's nice to just turn everything off. But now in the society we live in, it's like we're just believing everything that's well, us. back on to conspiracy theories, which are emanating from your TV daily and uh, routinely and ritually, because mm-hmm. uh, that's one of their ways to brainwash y'all real good luck. Um, uh, one of the early uh, ones that's still not solved, even though I think I have it solved, is the JFK assassination, which is a conspiracy theory to some brains that ain't very bright. But uh, they that one happened in 63, so I pretty much know the rest of the story. So for you out there that think you know a lot, I'm going to tell you a couple of things here that you don't know. And I'm going to answer this, uh, and I'm going to squish the theory that it's never been solved. This will be the first time in maybe the whole United States that someone's going to hear the, what the real story of the JFK assassination. There's only about a million or two researchers. And there's only about a million or two books. But I'm going to tell you a few things that nobody seems to have figured out. First thing you do is get the book called Four Days, F-O-U-R Days. The uh, assassin, uh, I, I'm going to get on this one. Only I only focus on 9-11 JFK because if those two truths came out, all the politicians in all of Washington, D.C. would kicked out, be kicked out tomorrow. Because those two have been covered up, and everyone in 
Washington, D.C. is covering up the truth on those two things. And so that's what's so irritating. That's why I focus on every detail on those two subjects. And so they call it a conspiracy theory. You remember, I'm a photorealist based in reality. I don't go for the theory of things. I want to know the reality of things. Photorealism, reality, not a delusional conspiracy theorist. We hear you, see. <laughs> that term was manufactured to put down the uh, protesters in the 1960s. Doesn't work for me. I, you just look up the definition. So, when it comes to the answer to JFK, I'm going to tell you who it was right now. The final shooter was the guy in the red shirt on the grassy knoll stairs. There's a video by Mary Muchmore and Nick's and it shows the final shot and it the picture is in the book four days a series of photos so basically quick question quick question go <clears throat> why would he wear red I'm just saying if I was going to shoot somebody which I ain't going to shoot nobody but at the same time I could think like a wolf uh -huh. um why is he wearing red because uh, they thought they had the getaway plan <clears throat> and so far, they've got the getaway plan, and uh, they're not going to have gotten away in history because a few people are going to listen to this. <laughs> so he was wearing red. He was with two accomplices standing on the uh, grassy knoll stairs. Now, so what happened in reality is that the car came to a stop in reality, and all the sniper teams had missed their mark, which was the head of the president. So the driver turns around to see that the driver uh, sees that Kennedy's been shot and instead of getting out of harm's way, he hits the brakes and stops the limousine, turns around and sees that the president's been shot and does not leave until he, the president is shot in the head. And only then does he leave, showing that he was in part of the conspiracy to kill him. In other words, he conspired along with everybody else, Johnson and the rest of them, to kill the president. So the final shooter was the guy on the stairs with his two accomplices. So he ran, I'm going to do a speed up version here. He, him and his two accomplices ran upstairs and the people that saw this saw what happened. Then he chased them and they caught these three guys. They were caught in the train yard immediately thereafter. And immediately thereafter, they're photographed and they're the ones known as the three tramps. Apparently nobody's connected to these two events, the three people on the stairs and the three tramps. So these are the same people. The three tramps are led to safety away from there. They were uh, arrested in association with possible uh, killing of the president and led to safety by Edward Lansdale, identified by General Prouty in these photos. So they're led to safety and gone out of history. Uh, well, there's more to it, but they're, so they're gone. And so it was pinned on Oswald, who had nothing to do with anything. And everyone ever talks about Oswald says he's the nicest guy in the world. So the, the whole thing that he's a patsy is true and that he's the evil single shooter is a conspiracy theory. The whole theory about uh, the Kennedy assassination is that it was a magic bullet that killed Kennedy. And that is the official story because it was magic. The first bullet went and caused seven entrance and exit wounds. And I will try not to go into infinite detail. So... There's Your one. turn. <laughs> so there's one of many that you have. Um, and I'm curious if you are thinking about, well, maybe I shouldn't talk about it on here, but would you write a book? I'm just going to ask. Write a book on 
Uh, like rewriting history, pretty much. Have you ever thought about that? It's the, this. All the details I'm giving now are in <clears throat> the CDs, and I've told hundreds of people about this and numerous researchers. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yes, they the the people they always want to pretend that the Republicans are the evil ones and the Democrats are the sensible ones. But the fact is, it was the Democrats who killed Kennedy. And if you ain't none too knowledgeable about this kind of direction, just go find yourself a picture All of Johnson. Right, listen, <laughs> uh, listen. The way we talk don't define our our, got, our ignorance. Right? I you got can, hillbilly can, blood, so I can go can that direction talk too. In any manner, and still have no sense. All anyway, right. so yeah, so the Johnson you just feel the sh- problem if you see, think that it yeah. is, you know, a certain kind of person that can, yeah. uh, how do you say, say certain words, and that means yeah. that they are stupid when really it does not matter. There are so many ignorant people on this planet. I'm going to so stop. The ignorant ones are the ones that are writing your history. <laughs> and the <laughs> other ignorant ones are the ones that are believing that history that's written. So all you have to do is, when it comes, there's two, uh, there's easy ways to quit, uh, squash the official story, both with 9-11 and JFK. Find a photograph of LBJ, which is the vice president, in the motorcade because he's ducking the bullets before the bullets were fired. In other words, Foreknowledge. It's called foreknowledge. He was. Wow. He knew the bullets were coming before the bullets were fired. Well, this is an Owen Wilson moment. Wow. <laughs> and so, so I could go on and on about JFK, and I can go on and on about 9/11. There's a million other conspiracy theories, so uh, we can jump off of this one. But the shooter was, and that just to prove that the last shooter was this guy, on the stairs is the cover story. Is his name is Edmund Hudson, but uh, he gave a sworn testimony to the Dallas police on that day, 11-22-1963, and he swears that he was sitting on the stairs. Photos show him standing. He swears that he was with one other guy. Photos show him with two other guys. He swears that final shot, he was laying on the grass. Photos show him running from the scene of the crowd and being chased. And the photo sequence I'm talking about is shows him firing the gun at the last moment that Kennedy is shot with a final bullet to the head, to the front of his head, even though fired from behind. So all you researchers who think you're so bright, go get that book. <laughs> There's a lot of you. Do you remember out there. who it's by? by it's a uh, Seattle Intelligencer, which was a newspaper up in uh, Seattle. But I think it was printed by several different sources. And it was one of the rare examples because the goal of the of the at that time the Warren Commission was cover up all the facts. And what they do is they, oh, you have a president, a, a picture of the president's head getting shot up. That's cool. Next. Oh, you have a video of the president getting shot by someone over here. Well, that's cool. You're out of here. In other words, they would cover it up by ignoring it and never writing it in history. Mm-hmm. So a book, uh, this uh, I forget his last name, but he did a, book, a series of books called Whitewash, white, Photographic Whitewash, Whitewash 1, Whitewash 2. And he's one of the best researchers on this subject. And so uh, he points out all the photographs that were eliminating uh, race from history just to fit uh, the official false narrative of Oswald, who had nothing to do with anything. The least, the most thing he was guilty of is it being a FBI informant. Um, because the official story said, the official story, the only thing to figure out with 9-11 JFK is that the official story will give you the proof that the official story is wrong. <laughs> so the official story of Oswald is that in 90 seconds after shooting miraculously with a gun, uh, the Carcano 1891 Model 38 gun, which couldn't hit water from a boat. Uh, that's the, what people say about this gun. He used this 
worst gun ever manufactured to shoot one model 38 gun which couldn't hit water from a boat uh that's the, what people say about this gun he used this worst gun ever manufactured to shoot the president miraculously uh in the head direct hit and then after doing this miracle shot he ran down five flights of stairs got a coke in the break room and was relaxing and the officers and the official records say that yes oswald was in the break room 90 seconds after the final shot so the official story says yes he killed the president and in 90 seconds he was relaxing taking a break and then after that since everything was being shut down the president had been killed the official story is that oh he went over here and killed a officer and then after he kills the officer which is magus uh made up also another part of the false narrative as he went to the had some pots and popcorn and went on break and watching a movie and taking his good old time. So both times after killing people, he went on break and was just relaxing. That's the official story, not me making stuff up. So all you need to know to know the official story is false is to listen to the facts of the official story. You know who I think works for the government? This damn leaf blower. I mean, <laughs> he literally started talking as soon as we started talking conspiracy theories. So I was just interested in, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I don't know anything about that, but let me tell you, this guy is Could be, loud. you never know where they're implanting stuff. Seriously, they're in the trees. <laughs> so, with all this chaos and then amendment with, amending with art and music, why do you think we're here? It's a big question, I know, but you're a smart guy. Well, these darn, <laughs> these darn fingers at the end of our hands has got to be here for some. All right, listen, so, don't you bring in none of that. I can't help it. I don't got any other accents. Anyway, so <laughs> you got a, you got a brain and you got a pair of eyeballs, and you don't have to believe anyone. I mean, the government, the authoritarian morons in Washington D.C. would like to speed food, spoon feed you all your answers and spend doctors and all the rest but of them. But why do you think we're here? Uh, well, we got a brain of our own, and to use our brain of our own and not believe the other BS. And so, when I say that I want to be the best on earth, isn't because it isn't some vainglorious uh, thing where I'm on my soapbox and look at me, I'm the greatest ever. No, it's to show the potential of the human being, you know, and then to teach this. And so, it's not just for self-serving purposes; it's to show the potential to so, live up to your true potential. That's right. So you don't need to listen to anybody else when. I wanted to be the best in the world. I understood that when you look in the sports world and they're inching along with the longest jumper, the longest golf shot, or you name it, they're always inching along. And there'd be people like Bob Beeman all of a sudden it just toasts everyone by a mile, just squash it. And it's like it gives you the idea that the real potential is vastly beyond what is observable around you. Mm -hmm. The true ability is light years ahead of what they're telling you. And so I wanted to be the best in the world by just dusting all the possible, anything that was around me in any book, just to dust them. Because I knew the potential of all of us. We're all born miracles, and we all have vast potential. The only way you're going to be brought down is believing the bullshitters who want to bring you down. There is no reason to believe anyone and none of the naysayers. And no matter, that's one of the major stumbling blocks of anyone with any potential is that the dumbasses do not want you to live up to your potential. And so you do not listen to the naysayers. And some, even the most talented people ever, the one of their downfalls is actually believing the hype. You never believe the hype. You get in your mind, you're going to get better no matter what. And no matter what means 
they can call you every name in the book and they can put every roadblock in the way it's not going to stop you because you already made up your mind and so it's impossible for you to be stopped and so it's living up to the true potential that you're born with not what people theorize that you can do brava brava well damn Hell yeah. Did you get all that? Yeah, I got it all right here, man. Oh, man. I love that we're sitting here at this cemetery surrounded by dead people, and we're just talking about living life to your fullest potential, and hopefully this hits home with whoever is listening. And, uh, yeah, we're all going to die one day, so it's, it's – except you probably – believe some people can live forever so i won't get into that we'll get into that next time <laughs> but for now i guess you want to hit on any other conspiracy so-called conspiracy theories or no anything? not yet i think <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna wait for our next chat and we can dive okay. in that but sounds good let's just uh before we uh head out um this cemetery reminds me so much of um Gosh, I want to say La. Um, it's a it's the big cemetery in Paris, um, La Chase, um, and yeah, I love how everything is kind of constructed here. It's just all different. And right now we're sitting at the top of a hill, looking down at all these different kinds of um, grave sites, and you can see. The entire town and more. How many towns can you see from here? Uh, that'd be one. <laughs> this is one little no, town. No, this one all. No, that one all the way over there to the right. You were talking about. Oh, that's just a hill. That's called Table Bluff, and that's the Pacific Ocean. He calls of, it a hill. It's, it's more than a hill. <laughs> it's a hill. <laughs> well, it's a park on a hill, so that's about all there is over there. And people hang glide off there, but that's about it from over there. And the Eel River comes in there, oh, and that's the Pacific a Ocean right town. there, and etc. Well, this is awesome. Thank you so much for taking me out here and um, showing me this little area. It's it's truly unique and beautiful. Um, and then thank you for just telling me so much just uh, about yourself and what you've done thus far and what you're gonna what you plan on doing in the future. And I'm honored to have met you and I'm grateful for all the advice and information that you've given. It's, uh, yeah, I wish there were more English words to describe gratefulness because I could use a whole handful right now. Um, but I really appreciate you're a truly kind and, and giving soul. Um, when I met you, I had near to nothing and you made sure I was stocked up and ready to brace life and, follow this path and a few years ago I told you that I was gonna come back and do this tea chat with you and now we're here doing the damn thing and uh, yeah now you've got a book ready to go and that's right this is this is awesome um, again could you mention if people would like to reach out to you how they may sure. do so uh, I mentioned before bodenart.com and that's b-o-w-d-e-n-a-r-t of course bodenart.com and then on Instagram it's uh, Chuck Bowden Art uh, on Instagram <clears throat> and then at fine uh, 
Fine Art America, it's Bowden Gallery, B-O-W-D-E-N, Bowden Gallery. And there, there you'll see some more of my archives and my art and some of my friends' art. And uh, so that's the three main ways to uh, get a hold of me. Uh, and do you need any other addresses? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. Don't want to give out too much information okay. now. Um, but this, is, this has been awesome. I appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed the tea. got really cold yes. real fast, but still good. Yes, very um, good. <laughs> good. I'm happy you enjoyed it. Um, I'm also going to send you home with uh, some Color Up Therapeutics, CBD salve and tincture. Um, that should help any right. any headaches you get facing, facing the world's troubles, any aches and pains you get okay. from bumping around your studio. Okay. Um, and then good. you're taking some of this tea home. And I uh, actually got this tea in San Diego, um, in Old Town. But, uh, yeah, thank you. See okay. Until next time, when we talk more uh, realism. There's so much more. <laughs> and I can't wait to discuss uh, star uh, forts with you. We've got so much to discuss. A lot of topics out there. Yeah. But uh, we'll let this, you know, soak in for them okay. youngsters. All okay. right? No problem. All right, everyone. Cheers. Later. See you.